Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedule Fly, and very pleased to once again have Chris Dickerson on the phone. Chris is down in Savannah, and he's got Corner Taco, he's got Burrito Royale, he's got Squirrel's Pizza. We've had him on here a few times, always learn a lot from him. Dude's got a lot of knowledge about the industry, a lot of passion for the industry, and it's always good to catch up, man. I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. What's been going on with you, man? How is how is everything going down in Savannah? It's actually going pretty well. It's uh, we. I'm a firm believer, as you know, that change brings opportunity. And yeah. as soon as COVID hit, but both uh, Corner Taco and Squirrels, we started donating 10 percent of all sales to Giving Kitchen, which helps restaurant restaurant workers in Georgia during times of crisis. Hmm. And in one month, we donated 10 grand. But what that did is it not only it not only is good ethics good business good business it helps drive sales so yeah. we have really strong numbers corner taco had like five record weeks in a row even though we've only recently been at 50 percent dining capacity we had a record year last year and i haven't been there in two years so mm. it's uh so corner taco's been doing especially well savannah is definitely during the first wave of covid we 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 thrived and the second wave which happened about a month ago Tourism was way down. A lot of restaurants had to close as a result of having employees tested positive for COVID. We closed proactively to get everyone tested. So that definitely affected overall tourism and therefore sales. But last week was a good week and, and optimistic things are going to pick back back up. But overall, we're I definitely think we've got probably more than our fair share of the market. Not fair share, but more we've a disproportionate share of the market. Just so I think we're top of mind to to a good bit of people. We also had a lot of people try us for the first time because so many restaurants were closed and now they're in our ecosystem. We've got, we can, they can save their credit card on our, uh, through our online portal. And so they therefore are more likely to order again and again. So overall we've been doing great. Uh, so, well, look, I mean, pizza is not a bad business to be in during something right, like tacos this. Tacos too, actually. Yeah, tacos too. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But, but that, that, that actually, brings up an interesting point i think any business any modern restaurant has to be delivery and takeout friendly and if their recipes aren't they they need to be adapted for example we use about three and a half percent oil olive oil in our pizza dough at squirrels and it's it's in part because it helps the dough hold it better and stay softer for longer so i think that i think that, that needs to be a new way of thinking Oh, you use three and a half percent olive oil, which is what something you already did. What 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 would normally? No, no we, 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 yeah, we already did it. But one of the reasons we did that is because we always wanted to. Be, we we always believed that the world was moving more and more towards delivery and takeout. Oh yeah, COVID sure. certainly exacerbated it, but it's not a new trend. And mm. so I, what, what I'm really saying is that restaurant recipes have to be adapted so that they are takeout and delivery friendly. And if the food doesn't travel well, they need to come up with, with new items that do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because you, you, you were, you, you have been thinking that for a while and you're ahead of the curve on that. Um, and this has accelerated it. What about when this, this is going to, you know, pass through it at some point, or there's going to be a vaccine or whatever. I mean, it's not, we're not going to get back to the way things always were, right? It's like, there's certainly some permanent change that'll happen with it, but is there a lot of pent up demand right now for people to just go somewhere and be somewhere and hang out with friends well, and hang out with family and not feel like terrified? Yes and no, but I don't think people are going to go out as often as they did before. I agree with that. Uh, 
Uh, a lot of fine dining restaurants consider a regular someone who comes once every three weeks. In more casual food, like both Corner Taco and Squirrels, we see a lot of people weekly, if not if not several times a week. So I don't think they're going to go out as often. I think people have rediscovered their homes. So Sunday supper, I think, is going to be a thing. Mm. Uh, people are improving their homes. They're adding on to their porches and, I think, rediscovering family meals together. Mm. So I don't think they're going to go out as often. So it's, it's I think all the restaurateurs are going to be fighting for a, a smaller piece of the pie. I, I think they're going to be, I mean, they're obviously going to be a lot less restaurants. But people also aren't going to have they're not going to have a quiver of, let's say, 10 restaurants that they go to. They're probably only going to pick, pick their favorites. It might be their top three. You know, they're, great. they're only going to go to the greatest hits. They're not going to They're going to be as likely to try something new that they haven't heard anything about. So I think on the other side of this, I think there's certainly some pent-up demand, but I, I, think, I think what we've seen is a massive restructuring that will probably continue forever. I'm, I'm really curious how that's going to play out. And the reason I say that is, and I think you're probably right, but, you know, like after 9-11, there was a lot of, what am I doing with my life? Why am I working? I'm going to go work for a not-for-profit. I'm I'm going to go join, whatever it was. And you're like, man, this just changes everything. Well, human nature is what it is too. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, the Sunday supper. Like that's a positive thing if that, is sustainable and continues. I mean, what, what a good thing for families, what a good thing for communities that they're in. I mean, that's just, there's nothing bad about that. Um, right. But three years from now, this is gone. The economy's hopping people. Who knows, man? I don't know. But to your point, either way, it only is, it only serves your, because trends are changing, right? In general to more fast casual stuff and, uh, you know, your, your business needs to account for that one way or another and, and have, you know, all, all those options, have delivery, have takeout, have dine-in, make it easy, make it approachable, um, you know, use ingredients that, that carry well if, 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 they, if they are getting takeout and delivery. Um, so I, I'm interested. I'm not sure I'm buying that 100% though. Now, you're a lot smarter than I am, and you know your shit, so you're probably right. But no, I also, it, it, I also believe that— everyone dis- disagrees on this, and that's, 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 it's, we need that kind of debate. Well, it, I'm just a big—human uh, nature is, you know, human nature has been what it has been for forever. I mean, people are— um, human nature doesn't change very much. So I'm interested. I hope that at least short term people will get out just because, I mean, I got to tell you, dude, I am desperate as hell to go somewhere and hang out with my family and to go somewhere and hang out with my friends. Now, maybe it is fewer places. Probably is. Now, the flip side of this is, you know, um, places, unfortunately, places will close. But let me ask you this, because you think about this a lot and you're always, you know, you're a second order thinker. Um, do you, if places close, that means some real estate, um, some landlord has got an empty space. Now, what are you going to put in there? Or, or, or you've got to put something there or you got to decrease your rent. Does this open opportunities for people to get cheaper funding, cheaper rent and, you know, maybe fulfill their dream of, of starting their own place? It may have been harder when there was so much competition maybe but i also think there's probably going to be a pretty massive commercial real estate bubble mm. it's 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 hard to say but 
this is the perfect time, in my opinion, to open a ghost kitchen or maybe a modified ghost kitchen. I'm looking, I'm looking at something in Charleston, and I've got somebody looking, basically, just like you described on the other side of this. Like I've, I can't tell you how many commercial real estate agents I've talked to over the years who tell me that I'm looking for a unicorn. But mm. unicorns do exist, at least in commercial real estate. And I have two unicorns now, about to sign a lease on the third, and looking for a fourth in in Charleston. And they do exist. They're just not easy to find. And usually they're in the form of a second gen. Like, I only want second gen. I don't want, or third gen. I don't want first gen. What do you mean? Uh, just because what do you mean first second gen? Second generation space. So, in okay. other words, a, oh, a, yeah, yeah. A, okay. a place that had already been a restaurant and and either it wasn't run right or it was in a up-and-coming neighborhood that, you know, they signed the lease on too early. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what I mean. So, it's, it's already got the a lot of the risk variables taken out of it. It's got a grease trap, a hood. Mm. You, know, you don't have to worry about delays in building permits, that kind of thing. But the, the, the I think the Sunday suppers, for example, I think people like now, especially so many people working from home, I think people are still likely to to order out, but or to to, to dine out, so to speak. But they're not going to be physically dining out. They're mm. going to get takeout, and bring it home. We, okay, we, I can we buy do a that. Yeah, format, uh, family style lasagna now on Sundays and that's been we, we sell out every time we sell out usually on Friday for Sunday pickup mm. and we can't keep up I mean it's, it's so it's, it takes a lot of time but it's uh, but that's that's really it feeds family four it comes with garlic bread and it's, it's taken big but I think that's you know that's the way people need to be thinking mm. Canley's has done an excellent job do you know Canley's restaurant in in uh, I think it's Seattle no check them out check them out spell they, it C A N L I S Uber Fine Dining used to be always on the list of like top fifty restaurants in the best restaurants in the country, maybe okay. the world. It's been around for a long time, but they immediately permutated into something 180 degrees from what they originally were. Nothing was sacrosanct, and I think that's the way people need to be thinking. If someone's waiting for things to go back to the way they were, I don't think they're ever going back to the way they were. Mm. Doesn't mean the revenue can't be the same, but I don't think it's going back to the. I think they're going to be other pandemics there are going to be other yep. changes that take place who knows what a, a terrorist attack whatever god forbid mm. it might be is there's going to be more change in the next 20 years than previous 200 years and mm. business owners now more than ever need to be able to rethink everything quickly mm-hmm. and not make it, the, the many of the people that i know who have closed uh, it, the common number seems to be stubbornness they they don't want to change they they had a good thing it was working why change mm. it's they, i know restaurants that refuse to do takeout they think it does a disservice to the quality of their food and i think that's the wrong mindset yeah a lot of people that thought that way have had to change that mindset for sure um no doubt about it um and there's ways you can do that like you said with changing your ingredients the type of packaging that you use and and people are yes so to your point i do agree once again on human nature you know if you're doing the sunday supper people don't want to make all that food (laughs) if you get if you got really good quality food that travels well and has a good price point then uh yeah man you're going to sell out your lasagna on friday for a sunday dinner because people don't want to i mean they, they don't want to do that even if they're home they I mean, it's it's a good connection, and maybe that's it. It's a good connection to something else outside of your home, but you're not necessarily having to physically be uh, somewhere else. But at least you're you're going out, you're getting the food, somebody else is preparing it for you. Um, so this is a ghost kitchen, then. This is what you're talking about with ghost kitchens. Basically, when I'm talking about deliver. When I say ghost kitchen, what I mean 
is delivery only yeah. through third parties, yeah. you know, Uber Eats, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, what, what I'm really interested in right now, uh, and I actually, it's funny because I texted commercial real estate broker and or emailed me yesterday about what I, what I'm really interested in is what I call a modified ghost kitchen. So basically, a small interior restaurant space hmm. with, let's say, just a handful of tables, ten seats maybe, that really focuses primarily on delivery. But there's still a physical connection. People can do. You know, we, we, I'm surprised how many people have been doing takeout through both restaurants as opposed to ordering through a third party. And a lot of it's just because they know the economics of it. You know, if we're paying thirty percent to a third party, and people people want to see their favorite places stick around. But I, 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 there are so many people now who are used to, you know, as a family, probably have a system. Let's say that, you know, if they have a 16, 17, 18-year-old child, maybe the child goes to get food, the, you know, the mom or the dad is at home setting up the, the table. But the people now seem more used to, to that than, than they've been, at least in my lifetime, at least as an adult. Hmm. And it's so I, a modified ghost kitchen to me would be really a really interesting model because then you you can really leverage your square footage. Obviously, the input costs for the monthly rent and overhead are, are lower. You don't need. You know, someone recently offered me a, a big restaurant space, and essentially they were going to pay for the build out and greatly reduce my rent in exchange for a percentage of the sales. I still wasn't interested because I had to. I still would have to staff it, have to electrify it, etc. And there's a, it's just like someone gave you General Motors for free, you might not want it because you still got, you know, billions of dollars in overhead. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, so I, I, a modified ghost kitchen to me is particularly, I, I, I've never heard that term. I just, that's just what I'm calling it. So minimal, small, small bricks and mortar that really pushes takeout delivery, but still has a space where people can come in sit down if they want a quick meal or just, for the convivial aspect of it. Well, what happens to that big restaurant space? Like, can that be converted to that? So where the, the more the, the space is in the back end in the kitchen, you've got a larger kitchen staff and food coming in and out of the back door all the time with smaller um, front of house? Or how, how does that, like, where well, do these places part, go? Part of the beauty of a ghost kitchen is that you don't need class A space. Yeah. Usually class B, class C space. Yeah. But the, I, I, I just, I don't, I just don't see a, the, the old model wherein you had a restaurant that was 5,000, 6,000 square feet. And, yeah. you, know, you could serve 250 people at lunch. I just don't, I, that doesn't interest me at all now, even if it were free, honestly. Mm. Really? I just don't want to have to staff it. I don't want to have to find that many good people. I don't want the stress of beyond the money of just having to manage that many people. It's mm. just, it, it's, so I, I think that's an, it'll be, I, I don't know to answer your question. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, who would have ever thought that we'd see the demise of malls in the way that we have. And now, uh, with Travis, the founder of Uber, what eats, or Uber, Travis Kaepernick, or Kalanick, Kaepernick, what's her yeah. Name? yeah. What's his, I can't remember his last Travis name. Travis Kalanick, um, yeah. Kalanick, but, uh, he just bought some massive company that dealt in essentially distressed mall space, and he's turning a lot of them into not just ghost kitchens for Uber Eats, you know, for people who, if I, instead of starting, we started as a food truck back in 2011. And if I had to start all over again, I would be a ghost kitchen. I wouldn't yeah. be a, I would be a virtual, basically just a, a virtual restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be a, a food truck. There's you know, so many people doing food trucks now, but they're also doing ghost retail, which is fascinating. So someone could sell retail, you know, shoes, clothes, whatever online and not have a physical presence. Mm. You not have a big overhead, not have to staff it. I, I know a, I have a friend who has a, a, uh, a chocolate shop and they're basically they do the vast majority of the revenue only a handful of times each year. You know, it's like a 
and it's gift chocolates, basically uh, Easter, Valentine's Day, etc. But they have they they always have to have one person sitting in the store every day, seven days a week from I don't know ten a.m. to eight p.m. Whatever it is. Hmm. So it'd be interesting to, to employ that you know, Pareto's law, the eighty twenty rule, and you know in today's time because it's it's uh, a lot of us just people in general have been doing a lot of things that were inefficient and it didn't really come into focus until now. Yeah. So I think that, I think the whole thing is painful as it's been, you know, it's, I'm a, I'm a mentor for SCAD pro and I did a, I was on a conference call with like, I don't know, 90 people from all over the world, including, you know, people from Google, like some big names. And a lot of people were, were scared. And, and, and I was a, they asked me the question, you know, how, what, how, what, what one word would describe your emotion at this current time? And I said ambivalence. On the one hand, I feel you know, empathy for people who have been physically and and financially affected. But on the other hand, this is massive opportunity. Like, mm-hmm. This is the easiest time in my career as a restaurateur that, to get money. I'm not talking about free money. I'm talking about loan money. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the the SBA standards have been smoothed over and it's just it's you know, there's opportunity out there you just gotta look for it and one of the reasons there isn't much opportunity is most people aren't looking for opportunities now they're just they're, they're sitting back waiting and I think the best thing someone could do now is to bank goodwill for the future and to rethink their systems rethink their structure because there will be another side of this the pie I think will be a lot smaller but there'll be fewer people capable of accessing their piece of pie. So I think, I think there's a ton of opportunity for people who are poised properly. Let's take uh okay. So this, well then here's your, there's your commercial real estate bubble. You don't need the class A space. You got all these, all these, um, take a place like Charleston though. People are going to keep going yeah. to Charleston, right? Like what's, what's going to yeah. be where the, you know, the, the, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 square foot restaurants were in the, in that class A well, space on, on maybe, King Street or maybe, whatever. Maybe it'll go and it'll become two restaurants. Uh, so instead of, let's mm-hmm. say, a pizza place, maybe it's half the space is pizza, half the space is tacos, and they share the kitchen. Mm. That 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 will probably be a thing. Yeah, okay, got it. Okay. Or maybe it's a bar. I, I, I don't really see it being one 4,000 square foot big restaurant. Maybe yeah. it's a bar, one half the bar. That, that, that space is likely to be subdivided. Gotcha. Okay. And maybe, maybe the model, maybe the financial model changes. Maybe instead of, maybe instead of the rents being triple net, maybe maybe the owners just take a percentage of sales. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big opportunity for landlords who are innovative, uh, and and they could get a bigger piece of the action. It could be a win-win. Like I, I would gladly pay, you know, a bigger chunk. You know, rent commercial rents generally six eight percent, or generally try to get inside of that. But I'd be willing to pay more if a landlord paid essentially to improve their own space. And we had an agreement that I wouldn't put anything obscure that someone else wouldn't be able to use. Like every, every restaurant needs a hood. Every restaurant needs a grease oh, trap. Yeah, for but, sure. But I, but, but I, not every restaurant needs walks or mm. like a wood burning grill. So if you start putting in specialized things, then it's not modular, but you, but you literally make it modular, put everything on wheels, you know, make it so that if it doesn't work out, that, the landlord has an improved space that would essentially be turnkey for almost any other concept. All they need to do would be, you know, topical things, paint, but they wouldn't need to reconfigure. You know, so that's, that would be an interesting opportunity for somebody. And I would be willing to pay more mm. as a result of that. Cause it takes away my front end risk. Yeah. 
you know, and if I if I buy an air conditioner, most of the commercial leases, as I'm sure you know, require the tenant to pay for big capital air conditioning. Even though mm-hmm. it, once I install an air conditioner or a hood, it becomes the property of the landlord. I can't take it with me, even though I paid for it. Yeah. So it's their it's their space that's being improved. So yep. if, if some you know if someone's if the landlord's more innovative, they it's be a big opportunity for them, and they could become the landlord of choice. Hmm. Which you're going to want to be in a in a bubble. Okay. Yeah. I like it, man. Always so, love the way you think. There, there's still going to be opportunity, but people are going to have to think differently. I, I think that's the most salient point. I, I don't think they can just go back to the same model they had pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. You're you're um, you have a very anti-fragile mindset. Have you ever read Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb? No, but I'm no? write it down. Really? Oh, I, dude, listen. I got a copy. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna send you uh, some more uh, shirt, uh, socks and hats. I literally have an extra copy. I ordered two by accident or something like that. I was gonna give one to. I'm gonna send it to you. So Nassim Taleb, oh, he, he wrote a book called The Black Swan, and um, it, yeah, it, I have read the book. I have read. I don't know if I read the whole thing, but I I think I listened to it in all their books. But I'm familiar with the Black Swan. Yeah. So he he followed up with Anti Fragile and Anti Fragile. I mean, I love both of those. I've read both of them multiple times. Anti Fragile, though, to me is more relevant practically in terms of everyday life because he talks i mean he basically just coined the term anti-fragile and he said look everything every person every object is one of three three things you're either fragile like take a teacup you push it off the uh yeah the 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 table and it breaks when it hits the the floor a ceramic teacup well you take the table the table's wood if you bang on the table it's not going to break it's not going to get better though right it's just it's robust he says so you're either fragile or you're robust or you're anti-fragile anti-fragile means that you know a sharp acute stressor uh makes you better and and just take like your muscles like right yeah you you go to the gym you, you bang out some weight your muscle goes holy crap that that's that sucked. Okay, I got to get better, right? Because that may happen again. So that's an anti-fragile mindset, which is really you know, benefiting from harm. Um, well, it's so, a care muscle, and it actually repairs. It forces you to get stronger. That's right. The yeah. So, so anti-fragile are things that, as he says, things that benefit from disorder. Um, so in this situation, there's a lot of disorder right now. But you know, you can be fragile and just and stubborn. In, in, in the example you used, of you know, I'm not changing it. Well, you know, you're probably done then. Um, or you can just kind of endure which is being robust and just kind of manage through it and, you know, kind of keep your head above water. Or you can go, it sucks for the, you know, there's a lot of bad things about this, but those are things we can't control. What can we control? Well, we can control how do we respond to this and how do we, how do we let this make us get better? And that's a mentality that you have. And that anti-fragile mindset is so valuable and so important. And particularly in today's world, when there is, a nonlinear impact to so many things because we are so connected. I mean, you know, a freaking virus over in some city in China has like impacted the whole damn world because we're so, you know, so you, you kind of have to be because so many things are tied together now. Um, yeah. That if you don't have that, but anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a copy of that, man. You'll, you'll yeah, dig it. Have, you'll, have you read the e no, but I've had so many people read tell that. me I need to read that, man. I need to check that out. I, that, you, you're yeah, probably it's, it's the 10th person book. that said that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will. The E myth, so E dash M I. The E myth revisited. Yeah, E myth revisited. revisited is what yeah. I've read. Okay. Uh, yep. it's, I think it's just a basically a uh, updated version of the original. Mm. But it's it's really great. Okay, I'll check that out for sure. It really it parses the difference between business owners and entrepreneurs. Mm. Most people who own a business aren't really entrepreneurs, they, and a lot of times they're not even entrepreneurial. They're just they're just business owners. They they 
abdicate. They don't delegate. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to check that out, man. That's like one of those things where the universe is like banging that over my head. I've heard that so many times. Okay, done. I'll read that if you read Antifragile. How's that? Deal? Yeah, I will read it. I'll read it. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I like it. Um, well, what about, you know, last time we talked about folks that are getting started in the business and maybe they don't, you know, there's there's things like engineers and architects and, and, and things that you need help with. I mean, what's changed with that for you in terms of possibly finding a way to help people that are getting into this business and just need a little bit of guidance, need a little bit of help, maybe a small, much less funding than maybe they had anticipated. Um, you had, you, you know, you've kind of been baking that in the back of your mind a little bit. Where are you with that? Yeah. Well, essentially because doing the, donating that percentage of sales to giving kitchen for me, it was kind of an interesting, it was an interesting exercise on a lot of levels, but it made me realize that, I might be able to do what I want to do sooner as opposed to later and actually bake it into the the mission statement. Yeah, I've been toying around with a mission statement for squirrels for, for a while, and I haven't really found one that's just a distillate of what I really want it to be and what it is. But the, but the, the real reason why I do what I do, it's not to make money. Like for me, like money is important, but it has to be the byproduct of excellence. My primary goal is excellence yeah. and I spoke with our managing partner at schools Jimmy Powell yesterday and I said that something that's incredibly important to me that needs to be a key part of the the culture and the mission statement is that we need to we want to get a little better every day like mm. it's, it's impossible not to make mistakes they happen but if we, we need to learn from them and no matter what kind of awards we might win we I don't ever want us to be complacent and if someone says to me this is the way we've always done it I I, I don't know what I'll do, but it'll, dry, it'll that just drives me mm. insane. I don't know if I was going to say I'll, I'll have to let him go, but it's just it just drives me insane when people want to cling to the past because that's the way it's always done. Well, what if that's not the best way now? And it's just it's so we need to every day be rethinking what we do. And and uh, so the it, it being realized that or the, during the person's sales that it, it, for us at worst it was revenue neutral. It was probably accretive. It's hard to really measure, but. What if we offered a percentage of sales, you know, starting at a particular point, just from from now in perpetuity, and that went towards some fund that helped people get started? Because I've told you before, it is unbelievably hard for people to access funding to start a restaurant. And it's, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about I, I'm not I'm not talking about equity. It's pretty easy to get equity. I'm talking about you know doing it your own way. Hmm. I, I've always issued outside investment. I haven't taken any, I, I doubt I ever will, but it's, uh, I own a hundred percent of the, the my, my businesses, but the, it's, it's so difficult. You've heard tons of stories. I'm sure about people opening a restaurant and they're, you know, six investors and everyone's something a little different. One person wants an exit plan and mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's been my experience knowing people, plenty of people have done it. It's either magic or it's awful. There's not really any in between. And occasionally it's magic, but more often than not, it's, it's horrible. And, and the, you know, the person with the money thinks that they're doing most of the work, even though it's, you know, it's an important part of it, but it's, it's very hard to run a restaurant too. So what I really, what, what I really want to do is help other, the, 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 the main currency should be entrepreneurial drive, it should mm. be experience. It should be passion. It shouldn't be money. The average restaurant built, the last time I looked at these statistics, was 2009 and then I'm sure it's much higher now then the average nationwide 
cost to start a restaurant just for leasehold improvements, so no real estate, was like $350,000 nationwide. So think about, you know, yeah. it's less than obviously in like Topeka, but, you know, substantially more than that in Washington, D.C. and New York. And it, it is so expensive to start a restaurant, and it shouldn't be. And it's, it's, uh, it, it should, you shouldn't have to come from family money in order to start a restaurant. I didn't. I mean, I, I, I started as a food truck and leveraged that, but I did it on a dime. And, Squirrels cost significantly more than it was supposed to have cost, and I really had to scramble to make ends meet, but I, I did it, and that was really, it wasn't because of money. It was really, a lot of times it was pure alchemy. I don't know how I was able to not balance any paychecks. I, just, I never did, and I, I never would, but it was you know, going to the bank multiple times a day, pulling available funds from one business as soon as all the checks cleared and put them to the, putting them in service for the other and then back in reverse the next day. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's it shouldn't be so hard to access loans it should be and the algorithms this is something you and i probably talked about but the algorithm algorithm i've learned a lot about algorithms over the last couple years as they relate to like lending and a lot of algorithms are simply wrong for example Mm -hmm. uh, one of my credit cards i won't mention the name but it's it's um well known you know it's hard pretty hard to get they their algorithms Ding you if you make a, like let's just say just a sick easy math let's just say I have a ten thousand dollar bill one month for, you know, for for my business I've used it to buy you know, small wares etc. I would rather pay say five hundred dollars a day for twenty days than have one ten thousand dollar payment. However, if I do that, the algorithms show that I'm a higher credit risk because it looks like I don't have I'm only, I've only got access to a little bit of funding. You would think the credit card company would prefer me to make those smaller payments because it improves their cash flow. But in fact, it works in the inverse. That's mm-hmm. wrong. And a lot of algorithmic inputs, you know, like credit score. Like if I, you know, if I apply for a bank loan, and I'm not just talking to one bank. I'm probably talking to eight. And that will seriously ding my credit, even though structurally there's nothing wrong with my credit. Um, so the, the, that's one thing that makes it particularly challenging, the, just the, the algorithms and how they're oftentimes – you know, the algorithms used for these things I'm describing aren't put together by the same people who are doing the algorithms for, for you know, John Paul Jones or, or the you know, big hedge fund managers. They're not they, – those guys have the – those algorithms are probably much more dynamic. But that makes it particularly challenging to access funds. It Is doesn't it, matter. You can, with that. Is it the – but isn't the algorithm for all that, isn't that done by the credit bureaus? Like you're, you're – They all have their own algorithms, but it's – no, the um, – the credit card company I'm talking about has their own algorithms. They have their and, own. And, okay. and they, they have their own. And it's, it's, they're silly. I mean, some of them, it's like, my card has no limit. So it's, you know, t- but it's, so it's supposed to be dynamic. But, but the, the, the inputs are just, they're silly. I mean, wow. I've had just through experience, I've had to kind of learn how they work. But then you talk, I talked to a credit manager at this company and she's like, oh, it's, you know, she doesn't know anything about the algorithm. This person doesn't know anything about the algorithms or what, and, at least whatever the board of directors comes up with, I guarantee the board of directors has nothing to do with the algorithmic inputs. It's, mm. some, it's probably just one person who's just at a, you know, probably a, you know, well-regarded school, but just out of school, they don't have any life experience. I'm just, yeah, hundred-hour-a-week analyst, right? Yeah, no, I got you. What's that? I said like a hundred-hour-a-week analyst. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I got you. Yeah, it's just it's just they're not they're not dynamic. And and for example, I never miss a payment on anything. I never pay anything late during COVID. That should increase your credit 
worthiness. But it's, they use the same algorithms as before. Like to me, oh, they don't they don't factor in co- like right. So if you made all your payments right now, it ought to increase your credit score significantly yeah. more than it would in a, a normal three month cycle. Yeah, yeah. And the person I want to do, but the person I'd be willing to invest in is the person I don't care what their balance sheet looks like. I want mm. the person who lies awake at night, reads how they're going to pay things, mm-hmm. and makes and makes it work one way or another. And that's that. I mean, that's been me for the last three years. I've never missed a payment. I've never screwed one over. But the the it's been so I've got eight hundred plus credit score, and it's it's been so hard for me to get funding. It has no, it's nothing to do with it's nothing structural. It's just the way the rules are written. So I would love to help people. And I'd love to say, I'd love, love to have a fund that does nothing but helps seed people who've got what it really takes. Is that what we talked about before? The entrepreneurial drive, the passion, the work ethic. Those are the ones who should be getting funding. But that mm-hmm. doesn't. How do you how do you factor how do you bake that into an algorithm? You can't. Mm-hmm. It's it's um. So, so what yeah, do you? I really would like to help them. That's what I and, and that that that's really why I do what I do is to be able to to help people who really who really deserve a fair crack at you know the American dream at least as it relates to restaurants. But that's a tough it, measure. It, how do you measure that? How, I, I mean, I, I, well, character. Yeah. I mean, one, 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 I think credit score is a, is a, is a decent barometer, you know, mm. a decent starting point. Uh, it's not the end all be all, but, but seeing how they operate, like listening to them talk, you can tell passion just through a conversation. Usually agree with that. Uh, it would be, I mean, this is something that it would probably have a low acceptance rate. I'm not going to pretend that anybody could get money, but it's not going to be someone right at a, you know, culinary school who says that their grandmother has a killer chicken pie recipe and that they just, you know, deserve to open a restaurant. That's not the person that would get funded. It's a person who's been, you know, started as a dishwasher, worked their way up and now is a restaurant manager and they're extremely hardworking, love what they do, but they can't, they can't get a loan. Like that's the person I want to help. Yeah. Somebody that's got some street smarts and hustle and drive and uh, yeah, creativity and craftiness and figure stuff out. I agree, dude. Yeah. That, that's an well, entrepreneur that, that, right there. In, in a nutshell, that's what we could talk all day about. What, what's an entrepreneur versus a business owner? Entrepreneurs, to me, if you had to settle down, manifest realities. Mm. And finding that person, I've met plenty of those people in my life, mm. but they're not the most likely to get a, a loan. The most likely person to get a loan, this is messed up. I had a banker tell me this one time. Someone who wants to open a restaurant, let's say they work at Merrill Lynch or some, you know, they're a stockbroker. They make you know, six figures, not not anything crazy, but six figures. They're going to keep their job, buy a restaurant. They would, it would be easy for them to get funding, even though they have no restaurant experience. That is absurd to me. Oh like, yeah, they, I agree. They, they and then they think they're going to they, hire some GM to run it. No, I'm with you, man. I love I love the hustle. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And you you are 100 percent right about that. Um, you just said manifest. Uh, repeat that manifest their uh, entrepreneurs manifest realities. They manifest their realities. Takes, yeah. Okay. They, they make it happen. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that, I agree. I, yeah. I would bet it, somebody who really is an entrepreneur. I would bet on them than any day. I care what their balance sheet looks like. Balance sheets are such BS. I mean, no, I agree with that. Uh, it, it's just, I, I don't need the banks ask. It's just, I not even, it blows my mind and, and, and learning what they look like. You look better if you lease equipment than if you buy it, even though you don't. You, it reduces your debt, but you don't have the asset. And so it's like, I've got. I, I have to work with accountants to mm. make sure I'm putting my best foot forward on my balance sheet. So I ended up buying. I bought some equipment for for squirrels, and I leased it back. And then, you know, so it's and I can I can buy at the end of four years for a dollar, but that that the the true value of the asset will never really be reflected on my balance sheet. 
because I'm buying it back for a dollar, but they're worth way more than a dollar. Yeah. Just balance sheets are, I, I don't, I don't even get, I mean, they're so easy to obfuscate and. Yeah, you can manipulate that stuff for sure. No, I'm, dude, yeah, I, I completely agree. Have you ever read the book called The Art of Racing in the Rain? No, I'm going to put that on my list too. It's fiction, but it's about this It's about this golden retriever and his owner is a race car driver. But he's really good when it rains. But one of the things they say, the reason I brought that up is uh, the sort of central underlying theme of that book is the car goes where the eyes go. And um, they also say we, we manifest that which is before us. So to, to your point, like – you the car goes where your eyes go i said we said our kids have watched that movie we said by the way my boys are out there playing around right now i'm sorry there's a little background stuff but they're uh but anyway you the cars go the car goes where your eyes go where where are you where are you looking where are you thinking what are you going to make happen you know if you're if you're looking if it rains and you get tight and you look at the wall guess what you're going to hit you know when you go around that corner you're going to hit the wall but if you've already looked beyond the wall and you're looking around the corner and you're not worrying about right, the rain, right. you're looking about where you're getting, well, that's what you're talking about. That's, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I know I'm going to make it happen because I'm going to manifest it. Like, I don't exactly know how. Like, you didn't know how you are going to pay all those things, but you just, you knew you were and you figured it out and you still don't exactly know how it all happened, but damn it, it did. And that, that is that, dude, I completely agree. If you don't have that mentality, you darn sure better have some family money, or you better be a you know a stockbroker doing because man, you're not going to make it. Like there's just no way. And uh, that's that that's the that stuff you don't learn in school. It's just not no, something you, you're gonna you're no. gonna. In fact, you almost almost school. You know, the more education you have, the more it's uh, it, the more it's a detriment. I mean, I really believe that. I mean, I, I, I was the benefactor, and I was very fortunate to have a good education. But so much of what I know now as a 46 year old who's been involved with, you know, two small business startups over the years that have been successful businesses is, uh, you had to unlearn a lot of the stuff you learned yeah, in school. That's, that's you, true. you have to undo and, and, a lot of that track that you were going down because that track gets narrower and narrower. The more education you have and the more focused you get on, you know, a career in corporate America, you, you have to, you can't think that way. You can't think as a maverick. You can't think as a, create it you have to follow the rules and a lot of what you're right, talking you're about sure is right. breaking rules or learning the rules and figuring out ways to you know legally get through those rules to get what you want and uh that's a mentality that's hard to find but when you find it you know it you see it i think i probably see it um you clearly yeah. have it but that's what yeah, you, that's, that's what you're looking for yeah that's right <laughs> that's right yeah but entrepreneurs are excited by the unknown they're not afraid of it, and and uh, that's the mentality mm. too. Like yes, like the, the unknown. You could you, you, when you enter the unknown, it's like roll the dice. You could get, you know, you could get could be a great roll. It's like it just mixes things up, and change brings opportunity. And it's mm. it's especially because most people are going to be scared, and that mm-hmm. therefore creates more opportunity because a lot of people aren't going to be surging ahead. Like in both my restaurants, the bricks and mortar. When we first started, both of many partners are running it. They both wanted to just sort of, and they're 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 amazing. But they wanted to basically retreat, like costs, you know, do everything. I was like, this is not time to retreat. This is time to forge ahead. Like, no, mm. we try to expand sales. We try to expand market share. This is not when we we you know, curl up in a ball and hope this storm passes by. And it's and that proved to be right. But it's it's uh, and one of the reasons why we've had such good results at both restaurants is because so many places are still closed. Like we're open seven days a week at both restaurants. A lot of yeah. places 
think it'll only be busy on Thursday or they try it one Thursday and it's not busy. So they, they take that data to mean that it's, you know, there's no, you know, there's no business on there. We should only be open Friday, Saturday. And it's just, they need to, maybe they need to build it. But also mm-hmm. one thing that's interesting is there, I have noticed a shift in Savannah, the places that used to be really busy, many of them are not. And the places that weren't that busy are, and there seems to be a, almost a defection to a lower price point. Like there was a really, really high volume, big, uh, uh, seafood place here with a raw bar. And that place was packed all the time. They're, they're rarely busy now. And the place that's a little shack, that's just like a little fried seafood shack. I never remember them being busy. Now they've got a lot of door out the door. Mm. Mm. So it's, 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 it's important to, I, and what I'm getting at is a lot of places that aren't busy now think that there's enough traffic when in fact people might not want the menu that they had pre COVID now. Yeah. I, I, I do think people are probably more inclined to eat comfort food as opposed to, you know, foie gras and caviar. Agree. Um, for sure. So I know you got to go, but, but, uh, enjoy it as always. Oh man. I know. Yeah. I got another one here. I've got four podcasts today, which is really crazy. Um, they just lined up, which I'm so thankful for. I love it, man. I could talk to you all freaking day, my friend. Um, I'll send yeah, you a copy of uh, I'll send you a copy of Anti Fragile and some hats and some socks and stuff like yeah, that. Man, so, yeah. yeah, I see. You've had some podcasts with some of my buddies too, like uh, Don Nickel from Taco Lou. Oh, I love that guy. He's awesome, dude. Oh yeah. man, he's phenomenal. What a unique guy. Yeah, I really enjoy he's talking cool, to him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not surprised he's doing well. He's he's just a what a character. Um, yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know you knew Don. I guess from down in yeah, Jacksonville, yeah. huh? Yeah. Uh, yes, because he and I talked about how I lived down there that summer at Ponte Vedra Beach and used to go to, we used to work over at Sea Grill. There? You lived in Ponte Vedra Beach? <laughs> yeah, I did. For I did too. I, I spent every summer there growing up. Well, I went, th- I was only there the summer after I graduated in college in 1996. I was dating a girl and her family lived down in Marsh Landing and her dad was one of the in- well, there you go. There's the example. He was he was an investment guy, but he had he was an investor in uh, Sierra Grill. So I made salsa Monday through Friday from ten to two at Sierra Grill. I made all their uh, all their salsa for the yeah, salsa yeah. bar. My godfather developed Marsh Landing. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, I know exactly where that Sierra Grill is. It's funny. Yeah, I think it's still there. That's because Don and I were talking it about it. it's like the one that's still there. It's been there forever. It's a good place, man. I eat a shrimp burrito, shrimp burrito every single day when I got done at two o'clock. Yeah, they've got an interesting line set up, too. Like, they have two separate lines that basically mirror each other. That's kind of an unusual thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's pretty cool. Well, look, dude, we'll, we'll keep up. We'll stay in touch. Uh, and hopefully when all this clears at some point, uh, when it, you know everybody's kind of feeling all right and I can get out of here and hit the road, man, I'm going to come down there and yeah, have, I love it. have some pizza hey, are, with you. Are you in Raleigh? Is that right? Or Charlotte. Charlotte? Yeah. Charlotte. Hey, Raleigh? Yeah, I'm in Charlotte. No, we're. I mean, Tyler's up in Raleigh, and Wes and Charles okay. and Hank are down in Wilmington. I'm in. I'm actually in Waxhaw now. We just moved south of Charlotte in April. Yeah, it's in, in your house. Yeah. Your house. Oh, it's awesome. We got six acres. We got really lucky. Uh, we're out in the country, awesome. so I, I, we love it. It's a good place to be when you're. <laughs> there's plenty to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, man. Thanks All for right. including me. Hope you have a great day. See you, Chris. All right, bye.